And tonight I want to talk about, uh, guess what, Christmas. And uh, to note that we have in the room here, we got a lot of diversity uh, here in the room. We've got, we've got age diversity. Like uh, earlier I said, any kids here excited? And you've got the kids, yeah, we're very excited. And then there's some of you, this, this ain't your first Christmas, right? <clears throat> you've, you've had a, quite a few Christmases. You have been there. You have done that. And, uh, and, and you're here as well. Uh, we have family diversity here. Uh, there are some of you that are here with your family, literally, on both sides. There are some of you that, that wish you were with your family, and you are not. There might be some of you that are with your family and wish that you weren't. <laughs> you might be, uh, you might be, you might be uh, alone this Christmas. Yeah, maybe you have lost one of your loved ones this year, and this is a, a poignant Christmas for you. Lots of different experiences, family-wise, here in the room. We have ethnic diversity here today. We have faith diversity here today. People from all kinds of different stories and journeys and backgrounds that would be fascinating to, uh, to hear if we had, had time. So, so much diversity here in this room. Is there any unity is there any commonality? Is there anything that, a mutuality that, that would unite us uh, tonight here in this room? And obviously you'd say, well, we're all human beings. Okay, yes, we could start there. But there is something about Christmas that highlights a commonality that we all have. That it is easy to do Christmas and not realize. And if you don't realize it, then you are missing out what Christmas is actually about. And that is what I want to talk with you about today. Now, the story of Christmas is well known. We've, we had the children that uh, told the story in the video earlier in the service that there was this girl and, and, and an angel appeared to her and said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. She was a young girl, and the first thing that came to her mind is, how can this be since I am a... Are you with me this service? Okay, I gave you a tip on the clapping, and now I'm asking. She was a virgin. And the, the angel said, this is something that God is going to do within you. And so Mary was uh, engaged to be married, and she goes to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant, and the Holy Spirit did it. Well, Joseph isn't believing that line like any man wouldn't, and an angel appears to Joseph and says, this actually is the case. And you are to take her as your wife, and when the child is born, you are to name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So Joseph does that, and they go to Bethlehem, and they give birth to a son. And you know that part of the story there in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and angels showed up when uh, Jesus was born and declared it to the shepherds, and the shepherds respond and go to Bethlehem, and they praise God, and everybody is praising God, and Mary's pondering these things in her heart. And this is the basics of the narrative of Christmas. The same Bible that tells us the narrative tells us what it means. And it is to that that I really would like to talk with you here. What does it mean? Why did this happen? And this gets back to this shared commonality, this mutuality that we all have, 
And the, the, the Bible tells us this. This is why Jesus came. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now these two verses not only describe the why of Christmas, but really the why of the entire Christian message, the gospel. And so let's answer the question here, based on this, what do we all have in common? Well, verse five tells us what we all have in common. Why did Jesus come? To redeem those who were under the law. Now that is fancy Nancy language, and yes, I have two young daughters, so that's where that comes from. That's fancy, language, fancy Nancy language to say Not only are we under the law, but the law that we are under condemns us. This is the moral law of God. This righteous standard, this holiness that we are required by God to meet. And of course, none of us do. In fact, this word here describes us as being actually slaves. We are are slaves. Welcome to Christmas Eve at Bethel Church. You're a slave. And so am I. We are slaves to sin. The Bible describes this slavery to sin as a kind of bondage. We're like addicted to sin. It's like that painting that Dirk showed in the video, that sort of infinity symbol where when in addiction and with sin, you're just all the time revolving, revolving, revolving. Can't get out from it. That's what sin is. We are slaves to sin. It has mastery over us. And the result aligns perfectly with the world that we see around us, which is fundamentally broken. The result of sin and a whole society of slaves to sin is that there is brokenness everywhere that you look. And so we look on the front page of the newspaper and the back page of the newspaper, and what do we see? We see brokenness. And we look into the news on the international and the national level, and what do we see? Terrible things. This year, 2017, think of the terrible things that have happened that man has done against man in 2017. We look past the newspaper, we can just look into our community here, and we can look into our homes and our marriages and our families and our children, and what do we see? Everywhere we look, we see brokenness. There's this sense within us that things aren't the way that they should be and the way that we wish they would be, and that's when recent Christmas can be so devastatingly disappointing. Because we have this kind of thing in our mind, it's going to be so wonderful, everyone together. And then what happens when we all get together? It's something less than wonderful. Why? Because everybody in your family, and mine as well, is a slave to sin. Christmas is a gathering of sinners. And that expresses itself in devastating ways. And the Bible says that when that one of the results of our slavery to sin is wrinkles and aches and pains and the fact that every single town has to have a hospital, it has to have a nursing home, it has to have a funeral home, and it has to have a cemetery. Apparently, being a slave to sin has horrific consequences. And indeed it does, not just in this life, but forever. And that is where this word redeem is the greatest news that we slaves could ever hear. Because God chose to explain why Jesus came into this world by using a word that in the first century Roman society was used to describe a slave 
who is bought out of that slavery and is given, the, the, given their freedom. They once were a slave, but now they have been bought out of that slavery, and now they are permanently free. That's what redemption is. They are redeemed out of their slavery. They once were this, but now they're this. So imagine it with me. You're a first century slave. You were born into slavery. Your parents were slaves. Everybody you're close to is slaves. You long for freedom like anybody would, but you have no resources. You don't have any connections. There's no string to pull. There's no higher ups. You are a slave and you are stuck. But then along comes an unknown benefactor who pays the ransom price for your redemption, buys you out of that slavery and sets you free. You would always look at that day that you were bought out, that you were redeemed as the greatest day of your life. Which brings us back to this verse and what God is doing and how Jesus' birth at Christmas was a key part of this. So let's look at this in terms of the old journalistic who, what, when, where, why. Okay, Who, what, when, where, why. When. The text here says that when the fullness of time had come. Now we don't talk about time being full. In our vernacular we would more likely say he came at just the, okay we're getting better here in the service, good. At just the right time. When Christ came, it was the perfect time. And we can look at things surrounding his birth and see that it was just the right time. Historically speaking, you can think about how Alexander the Great had conquered the civilized world, had brought one shared language, the Greek language, to the, to the civilized world. And so there was a language that the gospel could be proclaimed and spread the Romans came along and built their roads and had their, their you know, uh, technology and their Pax Romana and all of that which allowed the gospel to go forward. Spiritually speaking, it was the right time. 400 years had gone by without a single word of revelation from God. From the end of the Old Testament, the last word of revelation and prophecy, four centuries of nothing. Four centuries of people like you and me saying, hey God, what about the prophesied Messiah? What's going on here? We haven't heard anything. We used to have Isaiah. We used to have Jeremiah. We used to have David and Moses and Abraham. But now it's like there, there's silence from heaven. What's going on? And all they had, and especially the Gentiles, were these Greek and Roman gods. And they were crazy gods and offered no real lasting meaning and significance and hope for eternity. People were crying out, God, speak to me. And Jesus came at just the right time. Circumstantially, it was the right time. Caesar Augustus decided, you know, I'm going to figure out how many people I got in my empire. I think we should have a census everywhere. So everyone back to your homelands. Everyone go back to your homelands. And so that allowed this couple from Nazareth to make their way down to Joseph's hometown a city called Bethlehem, which just so happened to be the city that prophecy said is where the Messiah would be born. Jesus came at just the right time. Who? Notice in the text, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Salvation is a God thing. We are not, this is not a Spartacus moment for us where 
You know, the slaves rise up together and there's some slave that leads us and we're going to throw off the bondage of our slavery and we're going to set ourselves free. We can't do that because in the economy and the currency of heaven, there is not enough money to buy yourself free spiritually. And there's not enough power and there's not enough politics and there's not enough of us to gain our freedom because to gain our freedom, we need something we, have, we don't have, which is righteousness. The currency of heaven is righteousness, moral righteousness. We don't have any of it. God has it infinitely. He is the holy, holy God. And so if if we're going to be redeemed, if somebody's going to buy us out of our slavery, we can't do it, but God can do it. And that's the point of this, that salvation is God. God sent forth his son. Why do you think that Jesus was born of a virgin? One reason is that none of us can say, hey, we saved ourselves." If he's born of a virgin, this means this is a God thing. The genesis of it is a God thing. Salvation is of God. You can't save yourself, friend. You could leave here and say, I'm going to be the very best person anybody has ever seen. You could be inspired somehow from Christmas and say, I'm going to live a righteous life. I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to be a benefactor. I'm going to be a philanthropist. I'm going to get my name on buildings. I'm going to feed the poor. I'm going to do all these wonderful things. You can do all of those things, and at the end of your life, you're still a slave to sin. We cannot buy our way out. Only God can do it. What? What is the point here? Why is this happening? To redeem those who were under the law. We are the ones that are under the moral law of God. We are the ones who are slaves. But notice that the goal of Jesus' coming is to buy us out. To buy us out of that slavery to the cemetery, that slavery to death, and ultimately hell, to redeem us from the curse of sin and death, to set us free. But how does some baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago, in some little town, in some little country, how does that accomplish anything for you and me here today? And this is the how that God did it. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Every clause here is critically important. The baby that was born was the son of God. God sent forth his son. That manger doesn't make Jesus famous. Jesus makes the manger famous. Why? Because of the glory of his personhood. The fact that as he was there in those swaddling clothes, and this is mystery, we don't get it, we can't understand it, but there is simultaneously a baby and the God of the universe. Like, it blows your mind. The angels show up, they're like, we can't, he's there in Bethlehem. Hark the herald, angels blubber away because they don't know what to say to describe the wonder that Christ has been born, that Jesus is there in the manger. He was the Son of God. But notice that he was, in, in addition to his deity, he was also human. He was born of a woman. Now, we know the woman was Mary, but the larger point here is that if you are born of a human, you are a human. Stands to reason, right? 
Anybody here not born of a woman? Would you raise your hand for a moment, please? Okay. I do wonder about a few of you, but that's a shared experience that we all have. We were all born of a woman. I'm glad I don't remember it, but we all were born of a woman. That means that we are human. When a, when a couple is pregnant, you know, with modern technology now, they can find out what the gender is. And once they find out what the gender is, if you know that the couple knows what the gender is, we will go to them and say, what are you having? Is it a boy or is it a girl? We never say, is it a human? Because that is assumed. To be born of a human means that you are a human. This week I had a, a couple in our church, they were telling me, I think it was their kids or it was their kids' friends, I don't know, but the story goes that there was this couple and they found out, they wanted to find out what the gender was, but they wanted to find out at the gender reveal party. You know what a gender reveal party is, okay, where you, you invite all your friends over and you, in some, you know, now there are more and more extravagant ways that couples are doing this, uh, the blue, the pink, whatever. Well, this couple said to the doctor, we want you to figure out what it is, but don't tell us. Here's the phone number for our our baker, you tell him whether it's a boy or a girl, and he's going to make a cake, and if it's a boy, it'll be blue, and if it's a girl, it'll, it'll be pink, and we're going to find out when we cut into the cake. And so the day came, and they had like the family and the friends, and the cameras were rolling, and they cut into this cake, and inside, it was white. The baker forgot to put the color in. That's a true story. I heard that this week. You're having a human. That's what you're having, a human. Jesus was God's son. That's his deity. He was born of a woman. That's his humanity. But these alone do not qualify him as a redeemer. They don't accomplish our redemption. Here's where he was born under the law is so critical, okay? He was born under the law. We are under the law, and it condemns us as slaves to sin. Jesus came and was born under that same law. What does that mean? Well, I've read articles about uh, delegates to the United Nations there in New York City, and one of the big problems they have is there's some immunity agreement when they come and there's certain laws they have to obey, certain ones that they can get out from. And apparently parking fees is one that they have immunity from. And they were bemoaning the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars of parking fines that are owed to the city of New York because these UN delegates come and when you have immunity, you don't have to obey the law. Well, what we find with Jesus is he did not come with some kind of divine immunity agreement. He came and was born under the law. He came and he fulfilled the same law that condemns us as sinners. He fulfilled perfectly, morally, completely satisfied the righteous requirements that God has, which qualifies him now to redeem us. Because if he had not done that, if he had sinned one time, guess what he would have been? A slave to sin like the rest of us. We needed somebody who was not a slave to buy us and redeem us out of our slavery. But he fulfilled it. Why? 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now you might be here right now and you're saying to yourself, hey, this is Christmas Eve, man. Where's the chestnuts roasting on the open fire and the you know, sort of uh, uh, walking in a winter wonderland kind of stuff? Because what you're talking about makes that stuff seem really trite, superficial, and silly. And that is exactly the point, that Christmas, properly understood, is not about nice, cozy, little, sentimental times together. It is about the gritty determination of God to save sinners who are in rebellion against him at the price of his own son. It is a bloody cross. It is a resurrection from the dead. which relegates a lot of the stuff that goes with Christmas into the category of the silly. And this text says not only does he buy us out, not only does he redeem us out of slavery, but he doubles down and welcomes us into his family as sons and daughters. Think of it. We are redeemed by his grace, by his righteousness, by his love, out of slavery and given a status of freedom. But God doesn't stop with the freedom. We, he moves us from just a status of freedom into his family, where we are literally in the family of God. And none of this would have happened if God had not sent forth his son, if he had not been born of a woman, if he had not perfectly obeyed the law and died on the cross to pay the price to set us free. Now, I've lived in Indiana for 25 years, but I grew up in Iowa. Do we have any other Iowa people here by chance? Oh, the second service today without anybody. Well, I'm not sure what to think about that. But anyway, Iowa, maybe you don't know, but it's a state of the United States. It's in the Midwest, tall corn. It's Iowa. That's where I grew up. And something very special happened in Iowa this year, um, and, it, it, and it's in Iowa City, Iowa, okay, is where the University of Iowa is located, and at that university, there is a university hospital, uh, the, Iowa, uh, the University of Iowa Children's Hospital, which is a famous hospital that handles the medical needs of really, really, really sick children, and uh, they've done it for a long, long time. Well, this last year, they completed a construction project in addition to the children's hospital that is a tower, and it's a very tall tower, and I actually have a picture of it right here, okay? It's a beautiful facility, tall tower, and what is unique about it is its location is right next to Kinnick Stadium, which is where the University of Iowa Hawkeye football team plays its home games. And as they were designing this um, addition, they realized that the height of it and the proximity, that from some of the rooms, they would be able to actually look over into the stadium and to see the game. And so they designed some of these upper tiers with all windows so that during the games, families could gather there, families and the children, and they could have the experience of watching the game. Well, 
some mom somewhere in Iowa posted on Facebook and said, hey, wouldn't it be great if at some point during the game, they stopped the game and everybody turned and waved to the children and the families in the children's hospital? Well, that kind of bounced around on social media, but it made its way to the athletic department of the university, and they decided that that was a great idea. So the first game just this fall at Kinnick Stadium, after the first quarter was done, the announcer got on and said, we begin a new tradition here at Kinnick Stadium. I'm going to ask that everybody here turn now and wave to the families and the children at the Iowa Children's Hospital Tower. Let's do it right now. And so 70,000 people all turn and they wave to the Tower Hospital. And here's a picture of everybody doing it. And no doubt, lots of tears just at the thought of what those families are going through in that upper tower. Well, maybe you've heard about this because this has really, like, seriously caught on. This has been, won the ESPY Awards for Most Inspirational Story and all these different accolades that it's getting. And it really took on. Like, not only does the, the fans do it, the football, Iowa football team does it. Against Minnesota, the coach of the Minnesota Gophers, his own son died in a facility like this. And he said to his team, he said, we're going to midfield and you're all waving. Okay. And from that point on, every visiting team does that, waves. The referees wave, the mascots wave, everybody is waving at these kids. In fact, they call it the wave. And you know what the wave does? The wave puts everything in perspective. All of a sudden, the game doesn't seem that important. All of a sudden, the Big Ten standings don't really seem that important. Because when you turn and you wave to the tower and you know that that's where the leukemia kids are and the chemo kids and their families that are dealing with life and death, it points out what really matters. And Christmas does that as well. When we get it, when we understand what it really means, it puts everything else in perspective. It reminds us of the reality of life and death. It reminds us that this baby that was born in the manger was essentially, you know what it was? It was essentially God waving to us. I see you there. I see you in your pain, and I see you in your brokenness, and I see you in your disease and your decay and your death. In fact, he doesn't just wave to us, he comes to us and loves us and redeems us and ultimately saves us. Because in the story, we're the leukemia kids, and we're the chemo kids. You know what the kids do at the hospital? They wave back. Look at 
Isn't that touching? It touches my heart. I was at a facility like this two months ago with my own daughter. To realize what these families are dealing with, and yet they wave back. And what is that wave back? It is a personal response. And ultimately Christmas requires that. It requires a personal response, an acknowledgement, God, I see you waving to me. I see Jesus as an expression of your care and your love. And I personally respond in what the Bible calls faith and trust to your gracious redemption offered to me. And that's the bottom line, friends. So right now I'd like to have just a moment of reflection with you if I could, okay? And it would help maybe bow your head, close your eyes. I'd like you to just reflect inwardly with me a moment and to ask you, have you ever personally responded? Sure, you know the story. But have you ever responded to God's gracious offer of salvation and love? His offer of healing and redemption. His offer of freedom and newness of life. And if not, why not right now? To put your personal trust entirely in Jesus as your Savior. As Dirk said in the video, he asked Jesus to be his Savior. And those simple words flowing from a heart that believes that Christ is the Savior of the world brings that redemption to us personally. So, is the hand of your heart waving today? It's dark in here. Feel free if right now as an expression of faith you want to wave to God. Say, God, I, I believe. I believe. I see. I see your love. <laughs>